Let's turn to Second John. If you're not already there, turn to Second John. Think in your notes, I've got just what Jason just said to the kids, except I got my verb wrong. I have that the gospel details walk on two legs. So walk, run. You can't run unless you can walk. So something else that we talked about last week that I'm going to phrase a little differently. This is the first blank on your notes this morning if you're following along there. It's this idea of relationships and relationships with one another that are right, that are biblical, that are true, only exist where the gospel is taught, believed, and then lived out. It, it has to be the full spectrum of, spectrum of those things. We have to teach it in the church and in our families. We have to believe it in our own hearts. And then it can't just stop there. It has to move beyond an inward understanding out to what we do. It affects how we interact with one another. So as Jason said last week, mutual love, mutual fellowship, and unity amongst believers can only be built on truth. It, it has to find its roots there on truth. And as he said last week again, that truth has a first name. Kids, who is it? Thank you, Ridge. Jesus. In John fourteen six, he said he is the truth, the way and the life. Our relationships with one another, with people in the world, they have to revolve around the doctrines of Jesus and around the truth that we find in his word. And according to verse 2 in this short letter, this truth that we're talking about abides in believers and it will be there with them forever. This is a wonderful reminder of God's everlasting care for his children. Forever, it says. I think Jason rightly correlated last week the elect lady and her children to be the church and members of the church. It's kind of John's unique way to explain and refer to the church. These are God's called out ones. These are his adopted sons and daughters. The church, the elect lady and her people, these are God's covenant people, the ones for whom Christ died. The apostle Paul describes the church in his letters, as the chosen bride of Christ. So this kind of verbiage that John uses here really fits in with the New Testament authors. Look back at verse 1 for just a moment before we read our text for today. Verse 1, John says that he loves the church in truth, but also that everyone who knows the truth is also going to love the church that way. Not only I, but also all who know the truth, he says there. So today, after laying the foundation in his opening greeting that Jason covered last week, John moves really to the meat of this letter. And the meat involves a couple of big things that are it seem to be kind of on opposite sides of the spectrum at first glance. They're obedience, and then next week we'll get into the idea of deception. Obedience and deception. Let's read our verses for today. Second John verses four through six. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Join with me and then we'll have a quick word of prayer. Verse four. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Let's 
pray. God, we want to walk in your ways. We want to walk as Jesus walked. And, and here, we're given pretty explicit instructions on how to do that. But it, it doesn't always translate into easy life, especially here in our culture. And so, Lord, we, we need you to peel back the hardness of our heart where we read a text like this and it makes sense in our brains, but then something short circuits and it doesn't get lived out that way. And Lord, I pray this for myself as well. Move in our hearts today, not just with the knowledge of your word, but with the practice of it. In your name I pray, amen. So if we look at verse 4, I want to just point something out here. To some degree, I think everybody here, barring maybe really small kids, but everybody here is a teacher. I don't mean that you get paid to teach. I don't mean that you actively sit in a classroom with desks and books or anything like that. I mean, I I praise God for you full-time teachers who do that. I praise God for you homeschool moms that do that sort of thing. But even if you aren't the primary teachers of your kids, you absolutely teach them. I think you get what I'm saying. You know where I'm going with this. Young people, even you are teaching those around you by some extent, by your example, by how you live. Now, those of you who've actively and intentionally helped a kid learn to read, you understand what I'm about to say a little bit. How many of you guys have ever done that? How many of you guys have had a hand in teaching somebody else to read? It's not an easy thing, is it? There's a lot of repetition. You're, you're teaching phonics, letter recognition, sounds, all of those things. And, and it can be a bit frustrating sometimes for both the teacher and certainly the student as well. But I, if you've had a, a part in that, I bet you can remember some particular instance when what you were teaching finally started to sink in, right? You guys know what I'm saying. It's, it's when all of those, those letters turned into sounds and the sounds turn into words and the words turn into sentences, into paragraphs. And before long, your kid is reading short books and then longer books. You, you did that. Like you had a hand in doing that. What a delight that is. What a joy it is to see like the light bulb go on, to see your student get it. See, I think that's, I think that's where John's coming from here. In, in this fourth verse, think about how he's referred to his audience already. He's called them loved ones, beloved. He's called them little children. These are terms of like fatherly affection that he calls them. And so I got to believe in verse four that when John says that he rejoiced greatly to find some children walking in the truth, that that's the kind of joy he was feeling. A proud teacher or a proud parent who's seeing what they've been saying for so long start to click and to see their kids benefit from it. Some of the ones who John loved very deeply were getting it. The light bulb had turned on and the people who he was investing so much time and effort and energy into were starting to live the way that he th- said God should have them live. And he was overjoyed. And I think those of you who've 
been involved in teaching someone to read can understand that emotion. I think a lot of us can. But notice something in verse 4. John wasn't just happy that they were listening to him, what he was saying. He was actually happy that they were doing what had been commanded to them by the Father. So John's words, they held a lot of weight, right? They were apostolic words. But he cared more about God's people walking in the truth than in his words because they were God's instructions. They were God's words. So teaching somebody to read here in this life, that's a fundamental thing to moving on, to growing, to to, to understanding. And that's a good thing. But how much more excited are we to teach somebody the truths of God and then to see them begin to get that? That's really what the Christian life is about. Teaching others how to walk with God as well. And what a joy it is to see it click and to see them stand on their own two feet in their faith. That's a joy that supersedes the joy of seeing somebody learn to read. And it's a joy that every Christian can and I believe should experience to some regular degree. So being a good reader understanding complex math problems, knowing lots of scientific data. These things can take you far in life. But those kinds of things don't always translate to healthy relationships, do they? In fact, sometimes the smartest people that are around us and that we know struggle in personal relationships. So does John want his readers to know facts and information about God and about the Son? Absolutely. For sure he does. That's why he's written so much in his letters about Jesus' divinity and about his humanity so that we might know who God is through Jesus, his son. But guys, I don't think John ever intends the knowledge of God to stop in our heads. He always intends, in fact, according to verses 5 and 6, John always intends that the knowledge of God affects our relationships with one another. How we relate to God drives how we relate to one another. Read verses 5 and 6 again with me. And now I ask you, dear lady, remember, that's the church, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we had heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Now flip back with me to First John chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. He's already said this same kind of thing. Chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. John's saying, this is, this is kind of old news, but it's important news. Loving one another is not a new commandment. It's the very one that we've heard since the beginning of Christ's ministry. And it's simple. Love one another. Love each other. And how do we do this properly? John explains in verse 6 of Second John. He goes in to say, And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the same thing also that John said back in First John 5, 3. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, between the time that I finished my message this week and this morning, God brought me to another verse in Deuteronomy. I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in the first verse. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do it, that you may live and multiply, 
And go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you do not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Verse 4, your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord, your God, disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, of pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Now, if you've been eating bread, the occasional quail for 40 years, Those things that he just mentioned are going to get you pretty excited. Fig trees, pomegranates, olives, honey. Oh, man, this was good. Verse 10, and you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now comes the warning in verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do good, to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. This is the end when we forget the commands of God. And if you just glance down in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, it wasn't long before Israel forgot. And they gathered their golden earrings and coins and they made a calf to worship. It didn't take long at all. When we forget the commands of God, when we forget to walk in them, when we forget everything that he has brought us through The inevitable end is to glorify ourselves and to boast in ourselves and not God. And when we looked at the section in 1 John back at the end of November, 1 John chapter 5, I said that obeying God's commands are actually expressions of worship for God's people. I also said this, that Christians love each other best when they're obeying God's commands. And I made that point, and I want to reiterate that today because it's it's in our text in 2 John. But it's just that simple fact, brothers and sisters, if you want to bless the church, even more than dropping hundreds of dollars in the offering plate, if you want to be there for the church, if you want to do the church good, obey God consistently. 
That's our call. Because when we obey God's word, that's when we're really loving one another. Not just that we'll turn into love for one another, but that's love. That's showing love to one another. John's logic is clear here again. Let me run it down in Second John for us. He says that walking in the truth means walking according to his commands. His commands are that we should love one another. So walking in the truth means loving one another. It's as simple as I can make it this morning. Walking in the truth means loving one another. But it's not just the mental ability to know that you should, I ought to love one another. Like That's fine. It's, it can start there. But the practice of it, of actually doing it, that's where our sanctification kicks in. That's where the Spirit of God has to move on us to do it. This is, I think, what it means when John says to walk in it, practice it, do it, love one another. And we just started a new year. I am not a New Year's resolution kind of guy. If I think I should change something in my life, I'm not going to wait until the beginning of a new year to do it. Just do it, right? It's common, though, this time of year to resolve, to eat better, exercise more, read the Bible more. Um, All of these things that are really pretty good most of the time, if you think about it. But if you've ever tried, I'm not going to embarrass anybody by asking you if you've done that sort of thing, but if you've ever tried to do that, maybe it's eat healthier in the new year. If you've ever tried to do that, you know how hard it is. You know, January 1st, you're all pumped up and excited, but what's today, the 3rd? You you know, you go over to somebody's house and they're serving you this delicious dessert. I I don't want to be rude. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to eat it. It's just, it's not so easy. Think about March 3rd, another couple of months away. It just gets harder and, and harder. And it's then when we're faced with a choice. Is my resolution real or is it just lip service? Does it really impact my life or was it just this passing kind of fad that I don't really care to stick with? Now, I realize, and I don't intend to step on your toes this morning, but I am going to kind of take a few steps back and get a running start and step on them again with this. Is your commitment to love one another like your New Year's commitments, like your New Year's resolutions? Is it easy at the start? Is it easy today when we're getting all hyped up and pumped up about it and we're looking at God's word and it's so clear? Is it easy to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to practice it, but then come two weeks down the road and somebody's in need, was it just lip service or is it a really, is it really a resolution that God has put on your heart? John, I think is looking us square in the face here in this text and he's forcing us to commit or leave. Decide one way or the other, make a resolution or go. There's no middle ground. We just have to do it. If you say you want to lose weight, eat healthy, you're going to have to say no to some things. You're just going to have to do it, and you're going to have to do it regularly. If we say we want to obey God's commands, we're just going to have to do it. We're just going to have to love one another. We're going to have to practice it. We're going to have to walk in it, as John says. Now, I I certainly don't want to come across this morning like I'm scolding anybody because I see this happening in our church regularly. I I see church members checking in 
on other church members when they haven't seen them in a while. I see church members who send food and care in the form of letters or notes or stopping by for people who are sick or not feeling well. I see church members showing up to support other members who've lost loved ones. I see church members drop what they're doing to go to help somebody figure out their transportation issues. I see this sort of thing happening regularly, and that's just the stuff that I see. I know there's so much more going on. But Hebrews 10.24 says this, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. No matter how well or how poorly we do this already, brothers and sisters, we can practice it even more. And what happens when you practice something? If you practice it the right way, you get better at it and better at it. I know it's winter and we're all aware of the challenges of being together in closed spaces right now. But if as one of your pastors, I would be able to have the the freedom to do this. I'd like to sort of give you a new year's resolution for this year. I want us as a church and us as families and even us as individuals to resolve this year to intentionally show love to someone specific every week. Some of you are doing this already, okay? But I want us to be specific and intentional about this. Here's some ideas. If you've got kids or teenagers, or even if it's just you and your wife, or even if it's just you at home alone, go get a calendar. They're giving them out at Orshland. Go get an Orshland calendar and sit down and every week... Write down a family's name. Just write down a family's name. And then throughout that week, somehow, some way, whether it's a call, whether it's a text, it's a handwritten note, it's an email, whether it's a, it's a drop-by visit, whether it's inviting them over for a meal, do something to love on that family or that person that week. That's 52 weeks in a, in a year. Ask your teenagers, hey, who would you like to reach out to and love on this week? Ask your little kids, hey, what could we do for this family this week? Get input on what to do. That would be my challenge to us, to you as the church, in a real practical way that we can show love to one another, that we can not just understand and say, yeah, I get it. I should show love. I should love my brother or sister. But to actually put feet to that and to go do it. We're not going to do these things, though, in order to boast in our own goodness but to be reminded of God's goodness in giving us one another to walk through life with. If you look to your right or to your left, or you think about maybe a a friend who's not here this morning, they are a blessing to you straight from God. He has given them to you to mutually benefit that relationship. And that relationship only functions properly when it's based on the truth of God's word and his commands and walking in them say to love one another. We're not going to make this a competition on who shows love the best or the most. But you know what? If you read this text, that idea of letting us consider how to stir one another up, stir up one another, some other translations talk about, they say provoke one another, to stimulate one another, to motivate each other into showing love. So we we may not keep score, but this sort of thing motivates us to do this more. Think about it. I don't think this is complicated When somebody loves you well, it motivates you to go do that same kind of thing for somebody else, doesn't it? When someone reaches out in care, maybe you're going through a hard time or maybe they were just thinking about you and they let you know it. It stirs the spirit of God within us 
to go and to do the same thing for another person. And then it continues down the line more and more to the point where we look up and the world looks in at the church and they're amazed. We're amazed at the genuine, selfless, godly love that's just overwhelming us. I'm excited to see what God is going to do in our church body this year. I'm excited to see how that spills over into our communities, into our neighbors, into our families' lives that don't know Christ. I'm excited to see how making this an intentional point in 2021, what the Spirit of God is going to do in this place and outside of this place, in our families, in our homes, in our communities. Next week... We're going to look at the rest of this chapter, and there is a really interesting purpose that John gives for loving one another. Maybe take some time this, this week and just finish out Second John and look for this really interesting purpose that John gives for loving one another. It's everything that we've talked about already, but there's something else here that I think is just really interesting and that I'm excited to share with you all next week. Now, this being a new year, we want to start it off well. And so I'm going to ask Jason and Caleb, Mike's not with us today, but I want to ask our elders to come up. And as we finish out our time together, before we sing our closing song, I want us just to pray together. And these guys to pray, to pray for us as a body, to pray for our families, to pray that not only that God would bless us, but that God would make us a blessing to others. So Jason, would you pray? And then Caleb, and then I'll close Father, it's, Lord, it's, it's hard to think, uh, as we reflect on the year prior that, uh, that it could be harder, um, that we could be facing even more difficulties in the, in the next year. And in spite of that, God, you remain impeccably faithful. And so I, I pray, Father, that uh, that we would feel the spur of others, the motivation, the provoking. Because um, the health of our church depends on it. The, the evangelism of our church depends on it. And so I pray, Father, that we would we would be motivated by one another. Uh, to love one another more and to love you more as a result. In Jesus' name. Lord, as we listen to your word, Lord God, we are just dust uh, that you've breathed into. And Lord, we can't perform this love that you described. Um, to each other or to the world uh, in and of ourselves whatsoever. So Lord, uh, it starts with each of us individually just uh, submitting to you, yielding to you. Lord, help us to do that. And that uh, <clears throat> the spirit that lives within us, Lord, the new creation that you have made within us, that uh, you would um, stir that and that it would... Uh, show fruit of which you prayed for before you went to the cross that the world would know us by the love that we show and demonstrate to each other 
And Lord, that automatically we will love you with all our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our pocketbooks, uh, our time. And that we will love each other, Lord, as you prayed for us uh, many years ago. And here we are in 2021, Lord. Uh, we just want to reflect your prayer, Lord. I ask you to bring forth the fruit that you prayed for, the fruit that you create and, and allow us to demonstrate. So, Lord, uh, have your way in our lives. Whatever, whatever comes forward in this year or this next 24 hours, um, have your way and help us to, to look forward and want to be a part of what you're doing in our life and the lives of others and to, uh, to see our life as you see it. Um, it is but a vapor. We are but dust, and yet you didn't leave us in the, a sinful condition in this world. You came to empower us by your Spirit. Help us to yield to you that you can bring forth the fruit that, uh, that you desire. In your name we pray. Lord, I pray that you would bring people to mind as we take seriously the idea to sit down and, and plan out being intentional on showing love this year. Lord, bring people to mind that need a touch from you, that need to know that they're cared for and loved. And as we do that, Lord, as more and more of us intentionally love one another, God, it, it will be noticeable. There will be a change. It will affect your people, both in our love for you and our love for one another. Lord, I thank you for these, this, this church the bride of Christ here at Ramsey Creek. Lord, because of your work here, because your spirit has chosen to be on us for over 200 years now and sustain us, Lord, we want to continue to be a gospel light in this community. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make us healthy from the inside out and you would do it by using us to love on one another and obeying your commands. Give us the motivation of the cross, that we look to that. And that's what motivates us to sacrifice and to give for the sake of one another. In Christ's name I pray, amen.